Good morning, Gospel Hope, and welcome once again to another installment here in our series called Exiles, Living Faithfully in a Fallen World. Uh, we've been studying the book of Daniel, and we've seen how Daniel and his friends were able to navigate following Christ, following the Lord, even while they were exiled in Babylon. And what a needed reminder that is for us as we're in a season in our world where it feels like we're be being pulled every which way. We need to be reminded that our citizenship is not here on earth, but it's in heaven. And that even though we are exiles, we're not really home. We can live faithfully as we follow our Lord. So today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 4, which is a little bit one of the lesser familiar stories in Daniel. And it's about Nebuchadnezzar's fall from grace, as it would. So this title of the message today is Comeback. So let's pray before we dive in and see what God's Word has to say for us this morning. Father, thank you that you are good and gracious and that, Lord, no matter what happens, you are king and we can trust in you. Lord, thank you that you reigned in Daniel's day and thank you that you reign today. And I pray that we would be encouraged by your word to put our hope in you and you alone, that you would be our confidence and you would help us to live faithfully even in a fallen world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. In the 1960s, singer-songwriter Roy Orbison was at the top of his game, really. In a five-year period from 1960 to 1965, he scored, count them, nine chart toppers, nine songs in the top ten. And then something happened. In 1965, Orbison basically fell off the music scene completely. No more songs in the top 20. No more songs in the top 40. He just kind of disappeared for a really long time. That is until 1989, when Orbison wrote a song by the name of You Got It. And this song exploded nearing the top of the Billboard charts in several different categories. Sadly, Roy Orbison passed away before he was able to see the success of his song. But in spite of this, when you look at music history, this song, You Got It, is considered to be one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. I bring this up because in our passage of scripture today, we hear about a comeback story that is even of greater significance. That is that of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4 begins with Nebuchadnezzar at the top of his game, as it were. Look at Daniel chapter 4, verse number 4, where it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. You can almost imagine the scene here. Babylon, the site of the hanging gardens, and Nebuchadnezzar just kind of luxuriating in his fame, in his power, in his prominence. But then God sends the king a very disturbing dream. And Nebuchadnezzar realizes that this is a prediction of his own demise. Daniel, the prophet, interprets the dream for the king. This is the interpretation, verse number 24 of the chapter, your majesty. And this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. And then in one fell swoop, it happens. Nebuchadnezzar goes from being the most powerful man in the world to practically a raving beast. Verse number 33. At that moment, the message of Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Yikes. Talk about a fall from grace. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just lose his position, 
he fairly nearly lost his humanity. But then something amazing happens. Not only is Nebuchadnezzar humiliated, but later he is restored. Verse number 36 of chapter number 4. At that time, here's Nebuchadnezzar talking, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned for me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar went from being great to being humiliated to being even greater. So you might hear that story and think, well, wow, that's an amazing story, but what does that have to do with us at all? Is that relevant at all for today? I mean, I haven't seen anybody walking around outside living like an animal, and I don't necessarily fear that for myself. Well, in reality, I don't think Daniel chapter 4 is fundamentally about Nebuchadnezzar. You say, what do you mean by that, Brian? Well, the king of Babylon certainly plays a supporting role in this story, but I think the main character of Daniel chapter 4 is someone else namely the Lord. Or if I could put it very simply, God is the main character in the drama of human history. This story, yes, Nebuchadnezzar plays a part, but ultimately God is the one moving all the pieces and orchestrating what happens in this story. God is the main character. That was true back then in Daniel's day, and it's true today. And if this is the case, and I believe it is, then Daniel 4 is incredibly relevant for us because it reminds us that God is at work. And this story reminds us that God is at work even in the rise and the fall of leaders uh, with the U.S. presidential election uh, just a couple days away and the constant media coverage that shows the dysfunction that is American politics right now. It can be tempting to think that the Lord has maybe taken November off He's not active. He's not doing anything. He's just left us to our own devices for a season. But that's not the story of Scripture. You see, the Lord is always working. He was during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar when he was at prominence. He was during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar when he was humiliated. And he was during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar when he was brought back to an exalted position. And that is true for us today. Today, in this day where we're talking about leaders and nations and elections and politics and all of that, we have to remember the words of our Savior in John chapter 5, verse number 17. My Father is always at work. He never takes a day off. He never falls asleep at the wheel. He's never running a little late. He never misses a play. The Lord is always working for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Or if I could put it in a very pithy way, the Lord is a can't stop, won't stop God. He's always at work. He's always doing something. He can't stop. He won't stop. He's always unfolding his plans for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Which leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. We must trust that the Lord is always at work. And let's be honest, that can be hard. When times are fearful, when uncertainty is in our future, when life is difficult, it can be easy for us to forget that the Lord is at work. But let's do a little exercise to help us remember this simple reality right now. Okay, so you're watching on your screens right now. I'd like you to go to your keyboard and type these words. 
God is at work. Got it? Go ahead, type it. Now, copy it. Got it? So copy it and get ready. So I'm going to say several phrases, and then I'm going to point to you, and I want you to right now in the comments, drop that little expression in there, God is at work. You ready? Participate with me. This is a way for us to be reminded that God is at work. Church, no matter who wins the election, God is at work. No matter how you are feeling, God is at work. No matter what your circumstances are, drop it in the comments, God is at work. No matter what others are saying, God is at work. No matter how broken and dysfunctional the world may seem to be, let's comment one more time, God is at work. Church, the Lord is at work. No matter what's going on around us, we have to keep this in our heads. Though it's a simple truth, it's one that we consistently need to remind ourselves. So you might hear that and say, Ryan, I'm with you. And I, I do believe, at, at least at some level, that the Lord is at work. But uh, I'm a little bit confused right now. How is God at work? What is he doing in the world? I mean, it seems like things are spinning out of control in so many different ways. How is God at work? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I think that's exactly what this passage of Scripture tells us. If we look at Daniel chapter 4 and the rise and fall and restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar, we see God at work in some very plain ways. No, the Lord doesn't fully spell out his playbook for us, but he does give us some principles to remember in any every situation that he is at work. So I want to look at four things briefly this morning, four ways that God is at work. So let's look at this. The God who works. Number one, the point is this, the Lord appoints. This chapter begins with Nebuchadnezzar himself reflecting on the dream that he had and the events that transpired as a result. What is fascinating to me as I read this is Nebuchadnezzar's perspective on what happened to him. Remember, he's king and he almost turns into a wild beast and then he's restored. And here's how he describes all that happened to him. Verse number two of Daniel chapter four. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and the wonders the most high has done for me. You see, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that God is the actor there. How great are his miracles, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal one and his dominion is from generation to generation. Or if you skip down later in the chapter, the angel puts it this way, verse number 32, the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to whoever he wants. In other words, what Nebuchadnezzar is saying and what the angel is saying is that God's hand was the one behind all the events that transpired. God exalted Nebuchadnezzar and God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and God had Nebuchadnezzar restored. Or if you skip back to chapter 2, Daniel says it this way, God removes kings and God establishes kings. The principle is this. It's very simple and it's one that perhaps you are well acquainted with, but it is this. God appoints governing authorities. And this is not just the message of, the, of Daniel. It's the message of the whole Bible. Romans chapter 13, verse number 1 says it this way. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. 
and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Or over in John chapter 19, verse number 11. I mean, listen to the irony of this statement. Pilate is accusing our Savior. And Jesus speaks to him. You would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. The implication of this, the results of all the upcoming elections have been ordained by God. Those who gain offices and positions of authority have been ordained or appointed by the Lord. And those who lose positions of authority have been ordained or appointed by the Lord. It was true in the days of the Bible and Nebuchadnezzar's day, and it remains true for us. And here's what I want us to remember about this fact. Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. He, he was a brutal pagan king, and yet God placed him in the position of authority. What this means for us right now here today is that whoever wins whatever election, a W for that particular candidate does not mean that that individual is somehow morally superior. What it does mean is this, God placed them in their position. We need to remember this simple idea. Both Hezekiah, a very good king in Israel, and Herod, the one who tried to kill baby Jesus, were appointed by God. Now, I'm not arguing that this should lead us to apathy or inaction. Please don't hear me about that. In the U.S., we've been given the right to vote in our elections and choosing our public officials. And this is something that we should be deeply grateful and take advantage of those opportunities. Nevertheless, when we realize that those put in position of authority are ordained by God, friends, it really does take a lot of pressure off us. By all means, by all means, be informed. Think carefully. Pray. Vote. Do all of those things. But then at the end of the day, rest. Just rest. Knowing that you're, it's not up to you to determine who has the power. That's way above your and I pay grade. Our responsibility is simply to know Daniel chapter 4, verse number 17. The Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to whoever he wants. So what do we know about our upcoming elections? We know that the Lord appoints. What else is God doing? Well, this is a slightly different emphasis, but I want us to remember that this is a critical idea. The Lord not only appoints, the Lord avenges. As I said, Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. Not only was he an idol worshiper who destroyed the Lord's temple and enslaved many of God's people, he also repeatedly threatened to kill Daniel and his friends. And the only reasons why he didn't kill them is because God supernaturally intervened on multiple occasions. And yet, in many ways, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar got away with it. I mean, he's still the king. In spite of his wickedness, he still has power and prominence and wealth. And this is the tension that the people of God have often felt. Sometimes there are people with positions of authority, and it seems like they get away with stuff, and we start to think in our heart, Lord, don't you see? Don't you care? Won't you avenge? This is what Asaph, the psalmist, struggled with in Psalm chapter number 73. Here's what it says. For I envied the arrogant. Why? I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are afflicted. Not, they are not afflicted like most people. Can you identify? 
Sometimes we look at, out at the landscape and think, why does it seem like the bad people get all the good things and the good people get all the bad things? Why is this happening? And yet Daniel 4 reminds us that our Lord is a God of justice. Though Nebuchadnezzar seemed to have years of consequence-free cruelty. Friends, his day came. Look at verse number 30. The king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and my majestic glory? Do you hear the hubris there? While the words were still on the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to whoever he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and nails like bird's claws. He lost it all in a moment. I mean, what a powerful illustration of what the Bible would later say in Galatians chapter 6. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. So for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar reaped the harvest that his wicked seeds had sown. But as you're well aware, if you've lived on the planet Earth for any period of time, God's justice is not always quite so dramatic. Sometimes the crime does go unpunished. Sometimes the wicked are exalted. Sometimes the marginalized continue to be overlooked and oppressed. But here's the reality of living in a fallen world. Though God will always bring about justice, he will do so in his time and in his way. Remember Asaph back in Psalm 73, the wicked, they're always doing well, they prosper. At the end of the psalm, he draws this powerful conclusion. Verse number seven, chapter 73, verse number 17. I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood the wicked's destiny. Indeed. You put them in slippery places. You make them fall in ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Asaph realized that though judgment does not always come in the time that we think it should come, it does always come because God is a God of justice. He is the avenger. Or if I could put it very plainly, God's justice is not always immediate but it is always inevitable. You can't escape it. Nobody will get away from it. The God of the Bible is a God of justice. Part of trusting this God means that we allow him to bring about justice in the way and in the time that he believes to be right. There's a tremendous freedom when we embrace this reality because it, it allows us to step out of the pressure of being judge, jury, and executioner. Have you ever felt that pressure in your heart? Like, you've got to judge. You've got to carry out the sentence. You've got to be the one who executes justice. Now, this, this certainly does not mean that we keep silent about injustice, nor does it mean that we simply be passive. 
But what it does mean is that we can rest in the hands of our God and simply believe what the scripture says. Romans chapter 12, verse number 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Why? Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We can trust that God. He will bring about justice and he will do it in his time and his way. And we must trust that his wisdom is always best. So the Lord appoints, the Lord avenges, and third, the Lord acquits. And perhaps to me, what is most striking about this story in Daniel chapter four is that the Lord does not leave Nebuchadnezzar in his humiliated position. I mean, this man was so proud Look at Babylon that I have made. Look at what my hands have fashioned. And the Lord humbles him, and rightfully so. God carries out his justice, and yet God does not leave Nebuchadnezzar in this humiliated state. He extends to him mercy. Look at verse number 34. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. And my majesty and my splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. I mean, this is unbelievable. The formerly barbaric, pompous, literally beast-like king becomes an object of God's rich mercy. But should we really be surprised? I mean, when you read through the scriptures, this simply is God's way. Pause for a moment and just think about some of the characters that we read about in the Bible who became objects of God's abundant mercy. Abraham was probably a moon worshiper. Moses was a coward. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Elijah was despairing. Jonah was a bigot. Peter was a hothead, Mary Magdalene was possessed of devils, and Paul was a persecutor of the church. And then let's just be honest. There's all of us hot messes that we call Gospel Hope Church, and yet, and yet, all of them and all of us have received the mercy of God. We have been cleansed and forgiven and transformed and changed from the inside out, not because we were good people, but in spite of the fact that we were bad people. God chose to show us mercy. The message of the Bible is essentially this. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Our Lord is rich in mercy. And he extends his grace even to arrogant kings. Man, this truth has tremendous implications for the moment in which we find ourselves today. Look. No matter how you're going to vote, no matter where you have already voted, look, in a few days, half of the United States, half of the American people are going to be disappointed. So how are we going to respond to that? If your candidate wins, are you going to look down at the other side and say, well, serves them right? If your candidate loses, are you going to look at the other side and say, ah, those people are the problem with our country, canceled? Or will you emulate the character of our God who shows mercy to people, who extends 
grace to people? Will you be a conduit of God's grace to other people? Look, church, listen to this. Those who have received mercy should be the quickest to give mercy. We, the people of God, should be filled with mercy. If the story of Nebuchadnezzar teaches us anything, it's this. No one is too far gone. I mean, the guy literally turned into almost an animal. No one is a lost cause. No one is without hope. Friends, the Lord's compassion is never canceled. The Lord continues to be gracious to broken, sinful people like you and I. And if we are his children, we should emulate our father's character. Brothers and sisters, let's be people of mercy. The Lord anoints, the Lord avenges, the Lord acquits, and finally, the Lord ascends. So what is the effect of Nebuchadnezzar's exaltation, humiliation, and restoration? The answer is that the Lord is lifted up. He ascends, he arises, he shows himself for who he really is. And this is littered throughout Daniel chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse number 3. How great are his miracles. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Verse number 34. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? So in Daniel chapter 1, we are introduced to King Nebuchadnezzar, the proud idol worshiper, conqueror of God's people. But when Nebuchadnezzar exits the book of Daniel right here in chapter 4. Here are the final words that he utters. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Wow! The truth is this, God will get glory for his name. Even when evil kings are on the throne, God remains committed to his glory. Look, I can put it very simply, and it's this. God's glory is God's priority. God is committed to his glory. Yes, Daniel and his friends were in some harrowing moments during Nebuchadnezzar's rings, and yet the whole time the Lord was working so that his name, his exaltation, would be lifted up. The same holds true today, no matter what happens in our nation. Look, brothers and sisters, here's the good news. Here's the best news in the world. The Lord wins. He wins. The Lord will get glory for his name no matter what happens in the affairs of men. His purposes will be accomplished. His people will be saved. His church will be built. And his glory will be seen. And nowhere, nowhere is that commitment to God's glory more clearly seen than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see... In a sense, the story of Nebuchadnezzar foreshadows a, 
a greater king who would come after him. Like Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus was exalted. But the Son of God was not just exalted to rule over some piddly little kingdom. He was the king of the whole earth. And Jesus, like Nebuchadnezzar, was humbled. But Jesus was not humiliated for his sin. He was humiliated for our sins. Jesus came to the earth and humbled himself to bear the sin and penalty that you and I so justly deserved. And like Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus was restored. But not just temporarily until another kingdom came in to take over. Jesus was restored to his rightful seat at the right hand of the Father to reign and rule forevermore. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, his position is more exalted than it was than it began. Jesus now is the lamb who was slain. He is now the one who we will worship as our savior. He is not just the son of God. He is the one who came to earth to rescue us from our sins. Or as Philippians chapter 2 so powerfully puts it, Christ emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what's the result? For this reason, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in our nation, listen to this very plainly. Our king is already on the throne. Jesus will be exalted. God will ascend. He will get his glory. So you might say, Ryan, I believe that. I believe that God is at work. But what does this look like this next week? I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm frightened. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, neither do I. So let me conclude with just a couple of suggestions how we as the people of God can remember that the Lord is at work this week. Two things. First thing is this. Turn your heart. One evidence that we really trust that the Lord is at work is when we turn to him in prayer, when we just tell him about where we're at. So pray for the officials that God has appointed to lead us in various capacities. Pray that your heart would find rest in him. Pray that you would extend grace to others, to whom, especially those with whom you disagree. Let's turn our hearts towards God during this time. He's our true king, no matter who holds the positions of power in our country. God is our king, so turn to him. In fact, I, I want us to take a moment and do that right now. As you're watching this morning, I want you to just quietly, right now, in this moment, talk to the Lord Turn your heart to him.
The second thing I want to urge you to do this week as an expression of your trust that God is at work is this, tune your heart. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's an old hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a stanza in it that says this, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. You see, when we focus on who God is and what he's done for us, it demands, it demands that we praise him, that we sing to him in exaltation. So here's what I'm proposing. Sing, sing. During this uncertain time, turn your heart to the greatest certainty in the universe. Yes, our situation is uncertain, but our God is completely certain. He is who he is. He is the most firm reality in the entire universe. He is the unchangeable God and he deserves our praise. Psalm chapter 47 verses 5 through 9 says it this way, God ascends among shouts of joy. The Lord with the sound of the ram's horn. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our king. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom for God is the king of the whole earth. God reigns over all the nation. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled when the people of God of Abraham for the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So church, let's sing.